What's going on, boys? Welcome to another installment of Man Talk on the Positive Masculinity Podcast. We're going to cover topics ranging from discipline, mental toughness, self-awareness, and fitness, all the way through to being a caring, empathetic, protective, and strong man. Traditional masculinity has been completely lost, and it's often misrepresented in today's society. So it's my mission to help you guys remember and recognize what it means to be a valuable man. Now guys, for a limited time, I'm offering my five-day self-confidence challenge completely free, which is going to teach you exactly how to start developing your self-confidence today. So you can enroll for free at www.bettermindbody.com.au forward slash course forward slash five-day challenge. That's the number five-day challenge. The link will be in the show description. That being said, let's dive into today's installment of Mentor. All right, boys, on today's episode of Man Talk, we have got an awesome guest on named Brian. Now, Brian is a author. He's a coach. Dude, thanks for coming on. Do you want to tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Nick. So, I'm Brian Suchetta. I'm the owner and author of Get Out of Your Head, which is a brand and book series that seeks to help folks overcome anxiety and depression. Uh, By trade, I'm a software developer, which doesn't have a heck of a lot to do with mental health, but you know, it's like through my writings, I try to explore that side of things. So if I find something in the software world that I feel relates to the mental health space a little bit or how our minds work, I try to weave that in. So um, yeah. all of the work that I do in the mental health space is geared towards helping folks, you know, overcome the demons in their own minds. So awesome, man. It's definitely a space that needs a lot of attention, particularly this day and age. Before we jump into that and kind of unpack it, Do you want to just tell everyone kind of what a valuable man is to you, what you need to do in order to be a valuable man? Yeah. So valuable man, right? It's like, uh, there's a lot you could say about this. And also I think in today's world, it's it's tough to, uh, I don't know, with with all the gender stuff, it can be difficult to talk (laughs) about. Um, What I like to say, right? And and this, this doesn't necessarily mean like women can't do this too, but I think for men, right? It's like um, what it means to be a man or if, if you are acting as a man, right? It's like, taking on problems, solving challenges in the name of a mission uh, or a purpose that you have. I, I think that's mm-hmm. as as far as I can boil it down. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great way of putting it. I think, to be honest, most men, I'd say 90 plus percent of men, if they really thought about it, they have that innate desire to push through challenges, to achieve something, to over, overcome adversity. I think most men could probably relate to that to a degree. For sure. Mm. In terms of your work and your books and what you do around mental health and anxiety and whatnot, do you think that anxiety and depression can actually be flipped? Because they're obviously not great things to experience, but can they be flipped and reframed into kind of a positive energy or a positive force? Yeah. So, I, I, the answer is definitely yes. I, I want to be careful or cautious with this, mm. right? I, I I never want to come off in saying like, oh, depression is a good thing. Anxiety is a good thing, right? But there is... There is a thread in there that basically says, you know, anxiety and depression, they are diseases and they are mental illnesses, but they are also feelings, right? They are states that you go into, emotional states that you live in for a while. And so if you think about any emotion that flows through you, it's it's trying to tell you something, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. that emotion is is helpful and sometimes it's not. Uh, if that emotion is hunger uh, and you're saying, you know, you could look at that and say, Oh, my body is telling me that I should go eat something because, you know, I need Mm. to uh, give myself some nutrition, fuel, whatever it is. Um, Again, not to say that anxiety and depression are good things, but there are threads in there where it says, 
Anxiety could be telling us something. Depression could be telling us something. Um, there are also ways to to flip both of the things on their heads, right? So let, let's start with anxiety. So anxiety, I like to say, is future-oriented fear. It's you know the same feeling as fear, but it's directed towards something that isn't yet here today. So maybe we have a job interview that's you know coming up two weeks in the future, and we're scared about it. Um, that's obviously not a fun feeling to experience, but like maybe it is, maybe that anxiety is telling us something. Maybe it's saying it, it's our body's way of saying, Hey, maybe you're not prepared enough for this interview yet. So, right. The, the thread there would be the message of your brain or your body telling you to do something. Um, I think where, uh, we can get ourselves into trouble is like, if we constantly want to try to do something, right? If we're like, hey, I've actually studied the material for eight hours and I'm good, but my body is still sending me these messages, there becomes a point at which, um, you know, sort of what what is it called? Like um, uh, marginal utility or whatever, right? Where it's like, if we continue to think about these things or study for our interview, we're not going to get... Um, any more benefit out of it. Yeah. Um, and also like sometimes you get to a point, I think a lot of us <laughs> very quickly get to the point where focusing on our fear is not helpful, right? I, I usually say, if there is something you can do about it right now, then do it. And if there isn't something you can do about it, to the degree that you can, you need to put it down. You need to distract yourself from it, right? So I think that's a couple, you know, a couple ways to look at anxiety in a different fashion. Another perspective on anxiety too, right? Is like, there's a term called anxiety reappraisal that some people talk about in research studies. So there was a study done out of Harvard, I, I probably 10 years ago now, something like that. Um, there was a researcher who basically said like, you know, the feelings that you are experiencing when you are going through anxiety, let's say you're about to give a speech and you're nervous. Um, the words that we tell ourselves have an impact on how we then experience uh, that anxiety, those feelings inside of us, right? So the mm. same person could look at a public speech and say, I've got all this energy flowing inside of me. It feels a little bit like fear, but I actually think it's excitement. I'm excited to go do this thing. My body mm. is revving me up for this this task the, that it doesn't do all the time, right? It's, it's trying to get me excited and put me in this state that is required of me going out and sharing my message with the audience, right? So there's that anxiety reappraisal piece, looking at it in a different fashion. Obviously, if you are like debilitated by anxiety, um, I think it's going to be a much larger, it's going to be a stretch for you to be able to then necessarily reappraise that, look at that in a different mm. way. All of these strategies are just to say, um, sometimes, different perspectives can help us get through some of the things that we're feeling. They're not meant to downplay them, belittle them, anything like that. Mm, 100%. Uh, fuck, I feel like I've got about 30 follow-up questions to that. Uh, in, terms sure. of, in terms of the anxiety side of things, what you said about um, anxiety could be telling you something, like, for example, you haven't prepared enough for an interview, et cetera. And once you get past that point and go, okay, I've done enough, it's not serving me anymore. I feel like there's another level of that anxiety that could be telling you something, for example, okay, I'm still anxious. I've prepared enough. What's this saying about what's going on inside of me? Do I you know, lack self-confidence? Do I lack self-belief? I feel like once you've utilized all of that first part of it and you've worked out, okay, I've done enough, then you can look within yourself and work out, okay, what do I need to actually improve about my internal environment? I think that's, I think that's a, a keen point to make. Um, I th and I think it's more of sort of like the macro picture of that situation, mm -hmm. right? So the micro is like, how do I apply what I'm feeling to this immediate situation? And then the other, the piece that you just talked about is more like, 
characteristically speaking, like about myself, what are things that I need to work on moving forward so I experience less anxiety in the future? I, I think you're spot on in in what you said. I, I do think the challenge is sort of anxiety can be overwhelming to the point where, you know, we get trapped in it. And rather than saying to ourselves like, okay, I've done that, you know, I've done my homework, whatever it is, and now I'm going to work on my self-confidence or something, uh, the feelings just kind of overwhelm us. And, and sometimes yeah. it can be it can be hard to figure out what that next step is, right? If we say, mm-hmm. I need to build confidence, I think a lot of us would look out and be like, well, yeah, I, I, I know I do, but, yeah. but how do I go about doing that? So that that can be the tricky part. And I think that's why I like to put that macro level on it is just mm-hmm. uh, because it's like, sometimes it's, it's nebulous. It's hard for us to figure out, right? But uh, a lot of people will sometimes say on the confidence front, right? It's like, you don't, you don't really become confident out of nowhere, right? It's funny because I'll look back at, you know, going to college and whatnot. There were so many kids that were confident almost for no reason, right? It was like, we're 18 years old. Uh, the best that we could have done in our lives, the most, like the coolest thing we could have done to feel confident about is, you know, score well on some exams. I don't know, take, you know, win the state championship, something like that. And don't get me wrong. Those are things to be confident about, but it's mm-hmm. funny because we, at that age, you're so young and there's so much that you don't know yet, right? And it's, so it's like, I think yeah. as you then get into the real world, you look around and now all your comparison points are like your manager, your manager's manager. And you're you're saying to yourself, oh, there's a lot about my job that I don't know. There's a lot about the world that I don't know and whatnot. Um, when you eventually then break that down, you kind of say, you know, confidence comes from competence, right? So it's like, if you want to become confident in something, whether it's podcasting, writing, uh, I, I don't know, uh, talking to women or the opposite sex or something like that. It's like, you need, unfortunately, you need to build up little wins that eventually stack up and stack up and stack up. And then you can look back at this history that you have and say, I am confident because I know that I've done these things before, right? It's not a false bravado. It's like, I have legitimate factual evidence that I know what I'm doing. Exactly right. I forget, you sound up perfectly. I forget who the quote's from, but there's something along the lines of, confidence is having an undeniable stack of evidence that you've you know achieved etc whatever you've done so i think that's summed up perfectly man in terms of depression and that side of the mental health uh, again we obviously got to tread lightly because we don't want to say things that might give people the wrong idea but in my eyes i don't think depression is ever incurable i think it's always a reflection of your circumstances and don't get me wrong i've had points in my life where I felt like shit and I felt like there was absolutely nothing I could do about it. But looking back, there's always been something in my life that was lacking. So, in my eyes, I think depression is a reflection of whether you're unsatisfied in your job, you're unfit, you're lacking meaning, your social circle isn't filling a cup up. What do you think about depression in that sense? Yeah, I you know I, I write about this specifically in my second book because it's like so that book is is targeted uh, centered around depression and I think depression is harder to define than anxiety right anxiety is like again that future oriented fear piece it's it's easy for us to be like what I am experiencing is anxiety and there's a thing on the calendar that is making me fearful with depression it's sort of this black cu- black cloud that can sometimes like slowly creep its way you know over our heads and I think yeah. sometimes we find ourselves in that state without necessarily you know coming upon some great tragedy or something like that yeah. um how I broke it down in that book was with the help of, you know, some different scientific modeling and stuff like that. So there was a couple of researchers out of the University of Rochester who I think in the 1970s, it was John Engel and John Romano. Um, jo- uh, one of them is George. I'm, I'm 
sorry, I'm slipping up on the name, <laughs> but um, I think George Engel and John Romano, I believe. Um, so they basically, you know, they came up with this framework for evaluating uh, diseases and like kind of specifying where they came from, right? So uh, this this framework that they came up with was called the biopsychosocial model. So it's sort of an amalgamation of, of multiple words, right? Bio being biological, psycho being psychological, and then social being social, aka everything else. Um, yeah. And there's research out there. Uh, a lot of folks will say like depression is one of, you know, a disease that can be classified through this biopsychosocial model. So uh, the, the, the tricky thing about it is um, because the biopsychosocial model, there's a lot of factors to it. Uh, it means that depression is then a complex and complicated disorder, right? So uh, like you said, it's like, uh, if we don't like our jobs, if we don't like our situations, if we don't like our friends, um, those things could certainly cause depression. But equally, what could cause depression, right? On the biological side, if we are not using our bodies in the proper fashion, if we're eating really poorly, if uh, you know our brain chemistry by default and our genetics predispose us to you know de depressive thought patterns and just neurotransmitter activity that leads to you know these feelings, that is also another avenue into anxiety. And then you look at the psycho part, like the psychological aspect of that model, right? Um, psychological, I guess you would basically say are sort of like your thoughts and beliefs. So you would, you know, if you're constantly thinking dark thoughts about yourself, the world, the future, um, you know, you're going to live in that state on a daily basis or a regular basis where you feel helpless, where you feel hopeless. Um, and I think that like that is absolutely another path into depression. So um, I guess to sum it all up, dep again, depression is a complicated disease and there are a lot of different there are a lot of different things that go into it. At the same time, I'm with you, right? I, I, I don't think I would have ever written a book about depression if I, if I, if I said, you know, there are some forms that are incurable, right? I, I just don't believe that in general. Um, obviously, some are stickier than others. Some, some cases of depression, um, and there are definitely, you know, so there's a specific kind of depression called dysthymia, which is sort of like a low grade depression that lasts for two years or more. I mean, if you're going through something like that you are obviously going to feel as though your depression cannot be cured. Um, mm. But like, you know, you look at the statistics and some of the research and whatnot, um, there's there's a thing called treatment-resistant depression. Um, and there are all sorts of different ways that people approach this disease, right? It's like I was just listening to a podcast episode with Andrew Huberman, and he was talking about, um, you know, psychedelic mushrooms. Not This is not me saying that people listening should go do them, but um, yeah. listen to that episode if you are interested in them. And he was saying that there is sort of a protocol where it's like in research settings, like in clinical trials, not, you know, not in your dorm room, not in the woods. Um, <laughs> you can, you can adhere to this magic mushroom protocol. Um, and it has had a substantial effect on, tr you know, that, that kind of depression that is resistant to treatment. So, uh, to answer your question again, it's like, I, I, I don't believe that any form is incurable. Some are much harder than others mm -hmm. to get out of. Um, but there are a lot of factors, which also means there's a lot of different avenues available to us to treat it. And that's perfectly summed up and something yeah summed it up in a way that i would have loved to have been able to but i think yeah you've hit the nail on the head there's so many different factors that go into depression whether it's your genetical makeup your brain chemistry your thoughts your circumstances your your body the way you feed yourself but in essence i still think that there's always something you can change about your life to essentially get rid of your depression and that's not to invalidate anyone i know when you're in that that space, it feels like you can't do anything about it. But I think it's an important point to make for anyone who is experiencing that it's not the end. There is a way out. You just need to put in, you know, a bit of 
thought a bit of effort and dig a bit deeper into what's going on for you. Yeah, definitely. And I, if I can just add quickly, right. Um, you know, I, I so I kind of gave that definition of, of anxiety. I try to break these terms down into stuff, you know, um, phrases that are digestible. If we, if we look at depression, I, I sort of alluded to it earlier, but I didn't specifically say it. Um, it's I, I like to say that depression, and this is not my own definition, it's kind of what I've gleaned from um, different research, is like depression is a pervasive state of helplessness and hopelessness. Um, and so mm-hmm. you could certainly get to that point, right, where you say to yourself, my depression is incurable. Sometimes that mindset breeds more depression, right? Where you mm-hmm. say, exactly. if I can't get out of this, um, and depression by nature is helplessness and hopelessness, then what I am saying is sort of a manifestation of that hopelessness. So um, I think it's I, I, like you said, right? We're not trying to downplay or um, belittle anybody's um, individual circumstances. I guess I'm trying to say like, you know, if you are struggling with these things, like hold out hope because it is definitely there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's like that was one of the main reasons I wrote that second book was I went through a long depressive episode myself before I wrote it. And I there were times where I was like, you know, I don't know if I can move forward, right? I don't know if I want to be alive right now. Um, and it's not me sitting on the other side of it gloating or anything like that. It's just wanting to give that message, spread that message of, of positivity and hope to other people. Because mm-hmm. um, once you're outside of that mindset, you know, kind of, as you alluded to earlier, it's like, you can look back and be like, oh, you know, I, 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 maybe I thought that was the end of the world. And and now I see that it's not, or maybe I thought that was hopeless. And now I look back and I say, oh, it's, it wasn't, you know, that, that sort of stuff. Yeah, dude, absolutely nailed it. You, what you say to yourself, what you think to yourself, it shapes your perspective, perception of the world, whether it's, you know, your mindset or things going on around you, what you think, it literally shapes how you perceive things. So you can, manifest even more depression when you're depressed no doubt moving on to emotions and that side of things again it's obviously a touchy subject in today's day and age but men are now pushed to express their emotions arguably more than women whether it's through you know sadness crying anger whatever it is in my eyes i think we've gone too far I think we're pushing men to express themselves too far. That's not to say that men don't feel emotions because we obviously feel emotions. Some emotions are arguably stronger than women, you know, like anger and whatnot. I, in my eyes, I think that important part of being a man is feeling these emotions, processing them, even talking them through with your friends, family, partners, but not acting on them and overly expressing them. It's not to say that, you know, men don't feel sad because we obviously do, but crying about it all the time, sitting in bed, having a victim mindset, I think that's even more destructive than going, okay, I feel upset, having a powwow with your partner, your mates, and then moving on and doing something to improve your situation. What do you feel about the expression of emotions? Yeah, um, there's a lot to unpack there for sure. I mean, going back to you know the the sort of definition that we gave at the beginning or the question of you know what does it mean to be a man right or well, mm. what what makes you a valuable man I, I i would like to think that we don't want to lose sight of that that aspect of taking on challenges and, and solving problems and, and whatnot right yeah. um because i feel like if we anytime that you start to wallow in something right you lose sight of of the agency that you may have in order to be able to change the situation um None of that is to say that we should, it's like, you always have to give yourself the space 
in the room that you need, right? If you are like, if you're grieving a, a loved one that passed away, or, um, you know, you, you had this major disappointment in your life, that is, um, what you would classify as, you know, the most disappointing thing that has happened to you, like, give yourself time for that. Give yourself space for that. Mm. Let that emotion, like, let it play out. Right. At the same time, I think what you are kind of getting at is there is a tipping point at which self-pity, like, the emotion that we feel grows into self-pity and then the self-pity ends up preventing us from doing the things that could help us move forward. And the other piece too, right, is like something like depression becomes a very cyclical disease. People will call it uh, like they'll refer to positive feedback loops, which is basically the yeah. thing itself feeds on itself, right? So um, let's say you are depressed and because you're depressed, you're like, I'm not going to go out and hang out with my friends because I don't want them to see me in this in this current condition. By virtue of you not going out, you know, you don't necessarily uh, get that break that you need, have have that sense of community and connection, uh, get out of your head, get back into the moment, right? You maybe you stay in inside that night and you you watch a movie or, or you think some more, you chew your problems over more and more. And then because you're chewing your problems over more, you're feeling worse. And then because you're feeling worse, the next time somebody asks you to hang out, uh, you're like, well, I still feel bad. So I'm not going to go. Yeah. And it becomes this downward spiral again, like kind of um, the depression feeds on itself and creates more of it. So mm. I think, you know, again, this is not me trying to sit here and be like, you should do this and you should do that. Cause these, these yeah. are really hard problems and going through emotional crises like these is it's really, really trying. And I, I don't want to dismiss that fact yeah, at the absolutely. same time. It's, it's that self-pity piece, right? It's like eventually we get to the point um, where, where, where it's like diminishing marginal utility. That was sort of the term I was looking for earlier, where it's like another session on the couch, another night in is probably not going to get us anywhere, right? And eventually I think we have to hit that point and say to ourselves, okay, like, sure, this totally stinks and I feel awful, but I now need to go do something about it and, and connecting yeah. back to that that aspect of being a man, Right taking on the problem, taking on the challenge and figuring out like, how do I navigate myself back towards where I want to be? Yeah, 100%, man. Really well summed up. And on that, I think diminishing marginal utility or a thing over here, we call it diminishing returns or whatever we want to call it. I think the key to that is A, being incredibly honest with yourself and B, being self-aware. You know, you can sit in bed and say, you know, another week of watching Netflix and sitting in this victim mindset, that's what I need. But if you are honest with yourself, you could probably recognize that, okay, two nights might help me, but after that, I need to get back on the fucking bike and start rebuilding again. And most people can't be honest with themselves in that sense. I don't believe anyway. Yeah, it's it's hard, man. I, I think, you know, I'm sure we'll get into this in some of the further questions, but it's like, you know, we do live in this sort of culture that is... Um, what what's the right word? It's like immediate gratification mm. and all that. And it's like, there are times, right, when it is easier to stay at home, watch Netflix, grab a bowl of ice cream, rather than like go out and try to advance your life, right? And and sometimes that notion of advancing your life is so vague that it's that it's difficult. But I, you know, mm. I'll, I'll kind of put it this way: is like I I listen to a bunch of different podcasts. I think I was listening to Chris Williamson recently, and he was saying like, you know, it's it's funny because if you are a man and you are like, I would like to seek a partner, you know, I, I want to be in a relationship or whatever it's a hard game, right? You have to subject yourself to going out there, talking to a bunch of people who probably don't want to talk to you, you know, yeah. experiencing a lot of rejection and feeling that hurt. In today's society, it is much easier. Like, let's just be honest. It is much easier to stay home, to play mm -hmm. video games, to uh, 
eat fast food, get Uber Eats, whatever it is, watch porn. Like it's the, the, the markers for success, the things that make, you know, our dopamine, um, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, what circuits light up and all that in, in today's world, uh, they have sort of society has kind of shifted our behavior and nudged our behavior in a specific fashion that, you know, might feel good in the short term, uh, yeah. doesn't necessarily lead to good things in the long term. And, and, you know, may, maybe that's just how the brain is wired and how we have always existed, right? It's like, uh, it's always felt good to eat chocolate chip cookies, even <laughs> though uh, we know that eating a lot of them every day is not healthy for us, right? But I think today the stakes are just that much higher where it's like, you know, these, the tools that we have at our disposal and the things that we could do with our time are so pleasure inducing that it's like, we may turn to them again and again and mm. again and, and sort of forego some of those those difficult things that we need to do, right? It's like, I, as much as probably you do, I hate going out to the bar, yeah, chatting up random women. I hate it, right? It's, and that's why a lot of us drink because like we want to take that edge off and not experience yeah. that. But I also know that it's like, I would like to be in a relationship. And if I am not in five years, like I'm going to feel a lot worse then than I do now. And maybe, you know, kind of bite that bullet today rather than get to that point down the road and feel even worse. Yeah, hundred percent, dude. You nailed it again, and I I'm very lucky because I've got a, a gorgeous girlfriend, and we've been together for a while, and she's great. But I can definitely see from the outside that this is probably the hardest time to be dating or to be finding a partner because girls literally they can go on the Instagram, and if they're decent looking, they'll have a hundred guys in their DMs. Right? You rock up to them at the bar and you put yourself out there and talk to them. Why are they going to opt for that? They can literally go to anyone they want on their phone, which ties into as well the instant gratification versus delayed. I think we've our brains are wired for efficiency and that's always been the case. So if we can feel good in the moment, our brain's going to opt for that. But we've just got so many tools at our disposal now, like you said. We've got porn, we've got Tinder, we've got Uber Eats, we've got Netflix. There's no reason logically for our brain to leave our house we can get whatever yeah. we want from our bed. Yeah. And, you know, to stack on top of it, right. It's like, we did just come out of a global pandemic where we were, uh, I'm not, I'm not using some government conspiracy or anything like that. I'm just saying mm. uh, there were times where we were forced to stay in our houses. Right. And, and we learned that the world is a very unsafe place and sure it always has been, but I think that mindset got drilled into us over the last few years where mm. now when we say to ourselves, and this is all a subconscious process. We're not necessarily saying like, should I do this? Should I do that? It's like um, that narrative is is built in there somewhere. So it's like when we're going to think about Netflix and Uber Eats and all that stuff, there's something in the back of our mind probably saying like, yes, the world, you know, why go out there? The world is a little mm. unsafe. I should stay in my safe, warm apartment, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, again, none of this is to say like, I'm not criticizing people's choices. I make these choices sometimes too. I guess I'm saying that these tools are powerful, right? And if we don't think about them, um, if we don't put a lot of thought behind our decision-making and our use of them, we can we can lead ourselves to places that maybe we don't want to be. Yeah, 100%. And like you nailed it again, it's a subconscious thing where if we can consciously think about it and, okay, do I want to stay in bed, watch Netflix, order Uber Eats, or do I want to go out and ex experience the human experience and, you know, go talk to strangers and meet new people and make new memories, we can consciously go, okay, it's not that unsafe. I'd rather do that. But our brain is wired for efficiency, as I said, and we always think, or most of the time we think subconsciously. And so that's why so many people fall into that, I guess, rut, if you want to call it that. 
Yeah, absolutely. Moving on again to the mindfulness side of things and ways we can, I guess, alleviate anxiety and depression. What are some, I guess it's a two-part question, but what are some strategies to alleviate those uh, disorders or mental health problems and how important is mindfulness in doing so? Yeah, mindfulness is definitely a big, big piece of it. You know, I, I like to say that mindfulness, and again, I, I don't think that this is necessarily my definition, but just to put it out there, mm. uh, mindfulness is sort of like living with more presence and living with more awareness, right? So it's like um, bringing your actual mind to the situation that you are in rather than living off somewhere in the future. So a good example of this would be eating something, right? If you're eating a delicious meal, but you are listening to music and also watching the basketball game at the same time, you're not really being mindful in the sense that your 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 brain is distracted by a lot of different things. And so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's it's funny if you like sometimes people will say, right, if you lose your sense of hearing, if you lose your sense of um, sight or something like that, the the other remaining senses will sort of enhance themselves. And so if you are eating a delicious meal, but you are watching a game, somebody else is talking to you across the room, whatever it may be, your attention on that meal is divided, right? And so you are not necessarily going to savor every bite. You're not going to taste every single uh, piece of that food. So being mindful, whether it's food or, or something entirely different is, is being there, right? Being like, I am enjoying my experience with this food right now. I'm not distracted by anything else. I am just, I'm here. I'm in the moment. Um, I think that is, I think it's an inter, the reason I, you know, it's a bit of a tangent, but like, I think the reason why it's interesting is like, there are so many things we do these days that, uh, th that should, so many things we do that should be pleasurable, but we are we are sort of taken out of the moment, right? It's like a, a, another classic example is sort of you're on vacation, you're at the Grand Canyon, and you're you know you got your phone in front of your face and you're taking pictures the whole time. Did you even see the Grand Canyon in front of you <laughs> with your own eyes, right? Or or did you just see it through a lens? So mm -hmm. I think you know in terms of living better, I think mindfulness is definitely a great practice and, and a great thing to bring to the table. If we then talk about anxiety and depression uh, in the through the lens of mindfulness, I guess maybe just to start with anxiety, right? Is like okay, so um, you know, I talk about uh, you know in my first book, which is called "Get Out of Your Head: A Toolkit for Living with and Overcoming Anxiety." I present a bunch of strategies to the reader to help them walk back the fear that they're feeling, like in an anxious moment. Right? The problem is if you are, you know, if your mind is elsewhere, if you're thinking about something else, which is almost assuredly the case. If you are being, you know, if you're feeling anxious, it's very hard for you to be mindful. You probably aren't being mindful, right? And that's not a criticism. That's just kind of how the process works. So uh, mm -hmm. I say that it's like, if you want to implement these strategies, you may know them, you know, cognitively, they may be in your brain somewhere, but if you are really revved up and you are really scared, your focus is elsewhere, which means it's hard for you to then implement those strategies. So, you know, the first strategy on that list, there's 10 of them that I present, um, a lot of them are pretty pretty self-explanatory and obvious but but they are they're still helpful nonetheless and the mm. first strategy on that list is to do some deep breathing and the reason that we want to do deep breathing is that as we calm our nervous systems down which is you know sort of what like when we get anxious right our fight or flight nervous system revs up we need to get it to tamp back down and kind of engage our parasympathetic nervous system until we do that you know, we are off thinking about different things. Our, our prefrontal cortex, the the thinking part of our brain, is is kind of offline. It's uh, it's it's distracted, if if nothing else, and that means it's hard to put these strategies into place. So I say, like, 
You could have these strategies, you know, right next to you, but if you don't have the awareness to then implement them, you probably won't. So the reason why I put breathe first is, you know, coming with that breath and saying, okay, whatever I'm feeling, I'm, I'm just going to feel it, or I'm just going to let it be for a second. And I'm going to do some deep breaths in, I'm going to do some deep breaths out. As you, as you get that deep exhale, you start to activate your parasympathetic nervous system, which then calms your body down and brings your prefrontal cortex back online. And then with that awareness piece, right? With that mindfulness, you can say, oh, I, I, I understand what I'm feeling. I understand what is making me feel this way, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm now at a place of logic a little bit, right? Where I can say mm. to myself, instead of being all fret, you know, fretful and, rev, uh, you know, frantic and revved up, let me move on to step two. Let me, let me take this next strategy and implement that and try to walk myself out of this fear. So I think that's where the mindfulness piece comes in. Um, I think also when you, when you talk about depression, right, if we move to that subject for a minute, you had mentioned, right, like being honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, it's, 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 it's a very high level topic, but it's so important, right? If we talk about, you know, this biopsychosocial model, sort of the, the different drivers of depression, if we don't step back for a moment and say to ourselves, okay, is there a reason I feel this way? Maybe there is, maybe there isn't, but let's just say there is. Why do I feel this way? And then being honest with yourself and having the mindfulness to be like, this is how I feel right now. And I'm, I'm kind of like testing things out, right? You can sometimes feel them on a gut level. You can say to yourself, do I feel down? Do I feel sad? Do I feel depressed? Do I feel hopeless? Because uh, somebody said that thing to me at work a couple of weeks ago, or is it because I don't like my job? And you you start testing them out and you feel them on a gut level. Eventually, you're like, oh, that that's the one. And sometimes we mm -hmm. already know these things, right? We might know, uh, we might already well know what is making us depressed or what what makes us feel the way we are. But without that mindfulness, it's hard for us to come in and say, okay, here's my strategy for then um, countering this thing or or approaching it or wherever that may be. Mm, perfectly said, dude. I think mindfulness and self-honesty or self-truth probably go hand in hand that you kind of need one for the other and in, t in terms of what you said around anxiety and uh, breathing and calming yourself down something i talk about in my program is really important to have a cue so if you logically know when i start to feel anxious or i get revved up i need to do some breathing but like you said it's really hard to be aware of that so i think it's important for people to have a cue and it's generally a physiological cue, whether it's my hands get sweaty or my heart starts racing and you start to train your brain. Okay. When I see this cue, I know I need to start breathing and then you can become a lot more self-aware. Yeah. I love that. And I think, you know, uh, kind of a like related, but a tangent is, um, starting to see in the wearables front. So if you have like an Apple watch or a Fitbit or something like that, mm. a lot of the devices are starting to track like your stress level. And right. I'm hoping, I, I know that at one point Apple had put something out basically saying um, they were going to eventually use this to alert you when you were having a panic attack and, and sort of putting you through or what looked like a panic attack, a, a, you know, a stressful episode, put you through a breathing exercise. Um, uh, there's also a company called Whoop that is uh, headquartered in Boston and they just released... Um, you know, stress tracking, that sort of thing. So I'm I'm hopeful that uh, even though like the physical symptoms are are certainly strong cues, sometimes right we can we can still get lost in the anxiety. If I'm hopeful that like these devices could start to you know actually like like ping us when we are going through these things, and then mm -hmm. it's like just like our cell phone buzzing, we're not we're not going to ignore that, right? It's like oh I have a text yeah. message coming in, our, our wearable might start vibrating and saying like hey dude like I think you're you're freaking out like do you want to walk through a breathing exercise so don't know if we're necessarily entirely there yet but for now yeah. um 
the sweaty palms, the racing heart can certainly be uh, cues for us. I guess the the thing that the reason why I, I hesitate with them sometimes, because I know from my own experiences, sometimes like the fear just overwhelms me and I and I mm-hmm. forget to step back. Like I'm just I'm just in it, right? Mm-hmm. And I forget to be like, oh yeah, okay, I'm doing that thing again. Um, it comes with experience, it comes with time. Sometimes it's easier than others. Mm. Uh, but but yeah, some combination of these two things is is definitely very important. Yeah, 100%. And it's just like any habit. You have to train your brain. It does take time. It does take patience and it takes practice. Before we finish up, brother, do you want to leave us with your number one thing? It's become a bit of a segment, but whether it's a mindset or a habit or a skill, what's the number one thing to you that has made you the best man you can be? Yeah. Uh, sorry, I'm going to say two things just because I think yeah. I think like they have to be counterpo- you know, kind of put together. Uh, you'll, you'll see where I'm going in a second. So, you know, the, the one thing that I was going to say was like cautious introspection, which is basically like this mindfulness that we're talking about is being able to say to ourselves, if I'm experiencing depression, what is making me depressed? Why do I feel this way? Is it certain thoughts I'm turning over in my mind? Is it a specific situation in my life? Did I lose somebody that I am still grieving? All of those questions, right? Being honest with ourselves, doing that introspection. The reason I say cautious is that we can overdo it, right? We can think too much. We can get back into our heads, create even more fear, create create even more depression. Um, you know, we could also become a little bit self-obsessed or something like that where we, lo- we, we lose touch with people, right? Where it's like, yeah. oh, that person, they only care about themselves. They only think about themselves. So we obviously don't want to take it too far, but having that mindfulness, having that introspection is definitely very helpful because there's a lot of folks like, and I'm again, not criticizing, but there's a lot of folks that I work with, right? right? They come to me early in the journey and they're like, I don't even know what I'm dealing with. I don't know what this is. And so I help them ask those questions and be more mindful and say to themselves, okay, this is what I'm experiencing right now. This is what I'm feeling. This is then how I apply some of the strategies that Brian is telling me about to get through what I'm feeling. So that I would say that is kind of number one. And if you can't tell already by our conversation, I do this stuff a lot. Um, <laughs> the, the thing that I wanted to throw into, uh, you know, so I know we said one thing, but let's go with two things real quick. Mm-hmm. You got to so, have some courage, right? Like as a man, it's a tough world out there, dude. Like as we talked about, right? It's like, if you're not in a relationship, there are a lot of tools that you could lean on um, just for your own self-satisfaction and pleasure and all that. If you're in a job where you're like, you don't like it so much, or you feel like, you know, you're not paid well enough or whatever it may be. Once you've identified whatever it is that is making you feel a certain way through your mindfulness, you then have to go take action on that, right? And a lot of the time, that action is going to require courage. I'm not trying to turn this into like, you know, 300, like the battle of Sparta or anything like that. But let's be Mm. honest, like implementing the changes in our lives that are going to put us in better places. They just absolutely require self-discipline, courage, stealing ourselves, all that sort of stuff. So putting those two things together, right? It's like you could have that introspection, but if you then don't have the the grit to say, I'm going to go actually do it, you might not. So I think those two things are really important. Um, obviously, they are ideals, right? It's like, I, yeah. I, I'm i not going to sit here and say I'm the most courageous person in the world, but there are days where I come back to it and I'm like, yo, man, it's been a while since you did that certain thing, like since you asked a woman out or whatever, like you got to do it. So mm. giving yourself that push, uh, I like to say, right? It's like, uh, I think I alluded to this earlier was basically take on a little bit of pain today rather than having all those small pains stack up and lead you to a massive pain down the road. Mm, Well said, man. Well said. They're great points. Before we finish up, where can everyone find your books, find your website? Where can they find everything about you, bro? 
Yeah, website is getoutofyourhead.com. All one word there, no dashes, no spaces. Uh, on Instagram, you can find me. The handle is get out of your head as well. No dashes, no spaces. So uh, I tend to be most active on Instagram. I would like to be more active on social in general, but uh, work in progress. Awesome, man. Thanks for your time. It's been great. Appreciate it. Thanks, Nick. Fun combo. Alrighty, boys, thanks for listening to another installment of Man Talk on the Positive Masculinity Podcast. I hope you learned something that's going to help you improve your life and drive you towards becoming the most powerful and valuable man that you can possibly be. Now, as I said earlier, for a limited time, I'm offering my five-day self-confidence challenge completely free. If you want to enroll, you can jump onto www.bettermindsbody.com.au forward slash course forward slash five-day challenge. That's the number five-day challenge which is going to teach you exactly how you can start building your self-confidence as well as all the habits, the mindsets, and the skills that you're going to need to maintain it. Not only that, but it's going to give you actionable steps that you can start taking today so you can start building your self-confidence. So if you do want to register, click that link in the description. Otherwise, have a great day, have a great night, get out of your comfort zone, and keep on keeping on. I'll catch you on the next episode.